Hi, and welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm your host, Julian Guderlai. Today, I will share with you an episode out of the jungle in Costa Rica, the Freedom Culture Mastermind Recordings with my co-host, Jared Decker, from the Superhero Academy, and our guest, Ali Shanti. She'll be talking about how new modern business plans and ways of creating businesses in a conscious way are basically comparable to creating art like an actual art form how it is to walk the thin line between making something for profit but also optimizing it for social impact and the best and beneficial for the world that we walk in i hope you'll enjoy it without further ado let's jump into the episode Let's drop in. Yes. My name is Julian Guderlai. I'm sitting here with two beautiful goddesses, Jara Decker and Ali Shanti, visionary artist. Welcome, mm. Ali. Thank you. So great to be here. Yeah. I want to hear about your art and the collaborative projects you do and just your experience and insights about what it takes to live in community. Thank you. Absolutely. So I love, first of all, that you call me a visionary artist. Because I used to think that art meant I had to be drawing or painting. My mom is an artist. She's an art teacher. And I'm not good at any of that. So I had to really discover what is my artistry. And my dad was an entrepreneur, a businessman. And so my art is business. And I love being able to claim artistry as a business person, as a businesswoman, and recognize that creating new paradigm business models is a high form of art. And so when you call me a visionary artist, it just really sinks into my system totally. that I get to create art out of business. That's beautiful. I think a lot of people watching right now might relate to that, and I certainly do. Like, oh, yeah. I had like years of like, oh, I mean, I'm an artist, but I kind of not. And this whole like self-doubt, self-worth uh, issue, problem, however you want to call it. And, and yet, as you're saying it, business can be a spiritual practice. Mm. Business can be an art form. Mm -hmm. So guide us, and everyone who doesn't exactly know what you do, mm. guide us a little bit into how you create magical spaces for, for you know, the, the, the new evolutionary powerful messages to emerge. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that I wasn't always Ali Shanti. And in fact, I have a whole other being that lives through me, which is Alexis Neely, uh, very traditional lawyer. Uh, I graduated from Georgetown in 1999. And that was the path that I was on. And I went to work at one of the best law firms in the country, and then I started my own law firm. And all along, I knew that there was something else that wanted to come through me, but it felt very confusing because I was on this very traditional path. And so I just kept on that very traditional path, achieving each of the levels of success that had been laid out for me. And, you know, the million-dollar business, right. the best-selling book, the appearances on TV. And each time I got to that level of success, I kept discovering that there was emptiness there, but not the good kind of emptiness, because there is a great kind of emptiness. But this was not the good kind of emptiness. It was the kind of emptiness where I was left saying, wait a minute, what's happening here? I achieved the thing. I won the game. 
And yet some t- somehow it feels as if I'm losing. Mm. Something is missing. What is it? Mm. And that culminated in 2009 with my first ayahuasca journey. And in that experience, I saw a world that works for everyone. Mm. And it was so beautiful. And it was everything that I had always been dreaming about, but really only dreaming about it in my subconscious because it definitely was not what I was living. And after that journey, I actually fell into quite a big depression because over the next few months, I got to see very clearly, blatantly, how exactly what I was creating, exactly the success that I was striving for and achieving and winning was the exact opposite Mm. of that world that works for everyone. I had been trained and entrained very deeply by masters in their field about how to create exactly the opposite of that, actually. All of the, the things that they were teaching me were how to extract as much as possible from yeah. people mm. and how to build that success on the backs of other people. And so all of a sudden I started to see that so clearly. And it took many, many years for it to make sense to me. But over time, Ali Shanti emerged, and I began to see that I could use my abilities in business to actually create this world that works for everyone, a world that I want to live in, a life that is actually worth living, not just because I'm successful, but because we are all successful. And for me, success on my own is not success. It has to be for all of us. Yeah, it's not rewarding alone. It's there's not. nobody there with you. I was so <laughs> yeah. lonely. Yeah. I was so really lonely. I had everything, but really I had nothing because I did not have community. I did not have connection. Even with my family, right? So I had children. I had an ex-husband by that point. We were in community. Mm-hmm. Um, I had people that worked for me, and they very clearly worked for me, not with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was so much conflict. There was so much strife. There was so much um, of this where everything felt that it was a burden to me. Even though they were all trying to support me, they were all trying to make me happy. But really nothing could because the fundamental understanding of where I was coming from was really flawed and broken. And so now you you lead in communities, right? Or you, you guide people and help them set up their business, their community, and structure it in a way that's together, not a ladder. Like, you're this wrong, I'm this wrong. That's Yeah, I would say that that's where the artistry is coming in. Okay. So today I have... So I live in community. I live with my children. I live with my ex-husband. I live with the woman who... Um, she's a roommate, but we do a trade. She cleans the house in exchange for her rent. So there's all these adults that are, my kids are now adults. They're 15 and 19 now, um, almost 16, my son. And, and so we've got a community and that, that in and of itself, recognizing that my family was my community was a big thing. Like, oh, this is actually my, my, my original community, the place that I get to practice community. And then I have a business where I train lawyers on a new law business model that I created when I was in my own private practice. And so much more than that as well. Like what I'm what I'm sneaking in is 
how to really be human, how they can be better parents, how they can be better business people, how they can be better citizens of their community, how they can bring heart into the practice of law. And we have about 25 people on our team now, and that is also a community. So everybody that's on the team, we work together. I no longer think of anybody working for me. They work with me. I have my role, and everybody has their roles, and no role is more important than any other role. They are all critical roles, and that is a massive mind shift that I came into because I always before had this belief that I'm the most important. If I wasn't here, none of this would be happening. That was the belief that I held, and that was the come from that I had, and it was so painful. And now I see I have my role, and my role may be more vocal. Maybe I'm, in some ways, it appears that I'm taking more risks. But the truth is, is that every single person on the team is a necessary ingredient in what we're doing, and nobody is more valuable than anybody else. And yes, I receive more compensation than most of the people on the team, but I've even changed my thinking about that. I set my compensation at what I need mm -hmm. in order to do what I do in the world. Mm -hmm. And I invite everybody else in the company to do the same thing. We pay a living wage, so we do not pay less than $25 an hour for any role. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me. That's massive. It's massive. Yeah. And it's, and it's costly in the context of we profit less. Like I, I profit less. Yeah. And yet I profit so much more because I know that even the person who is taking, you know, the customer service emails has their base needs met. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely critical to me. And then I'm always looking at how can I pay more? That is another huge mind shift, right? I was trained to look at how can I pay as little as possible to get as much as possible. Yeah. And that is a broken model. If that is part of what you are thinking in your company is how can I pay as little as possible to get as much as possible so that you can profit the most, ultimately, I don't believe you will ever be satisfied. I don't believe you will ever feel as if your needs are met because there's a flaw in that system. And so what I want people to shift into is how can I pay as much as possible to allow people to, number one, have their needs met, and number two, to have as much freedom as they possibly can. Yeah. Because again, another mindset used to be, how can I set up this company so I can have as much freedom as possible? And again, it is flawed. If you are at the top of the company and you're always looking at how you can have as much freedom as possible, don't you imagine that your team members are always going to be resentful? Yeah. Because you're getting your freedom, but they're slaving away to create that for you. Mm -hmm. No, you want to work together so that everybody can have their freedom, so that everybody can have their needs met. And if you are actually in service to every single person on your team, having their needs met and having as much freedom as possible, and you're in co-creation and collaboration with them to create that, well, they are going to be devoted to the work that you're so doing powerful. together. This is yeah. so powerful. I love that you're sharing these like deep insights from your embodied experience as an entrepreneur, yeah. but actually an artist entrepreneur. Yeah. Because artists are really people for me that are now that I went through my own like, you know, awakening of letting out the inner <laughs> art. Artists. Yeah. yeah. 
the, the hardest. The hardest. I think mm. I think it's really just allowing people to be in this freedom and fully expressing, but not just for the sake of full expression, for the sake of skilled and cultivated collaboration. Yeah. And Ali, give us a little bit a little bit more of those golden nuggets. I I know that there's a lot of wisdom in you. And I, I love to hear like a story mm. or two where Things went so differently as in like the quotation marks here, yeah. the regular work world. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned full expression, and that's a huge part of it too. So in the past, what would happen is I did not have the personal capacity to hold people's full expression. So if somebody on my team was angry at me or hurt by something that I would do, I would shut down. And I would therefore shut down their expression. I didn't know I was doing this, but I, but I was doing it. And I didn't really see it until something different happened. And um, one of the challenges that I often had is because I see people's full potential, oftentimes I would put somebody in a role that was actually too big of a role for them. It wasn't the right role. So, for example... Um, time and again, I would bring a right-hand woman type person into my business and I would say, okay, you're the COO. And I would give her this title of COO mm -hmm. because I didn't really actually know what a COO was. And so I wanted her to step into, you know, running the company. Sounds familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something that we do a lot as entrepreneurs. And so I would put her in this role of COO. But the truth was is that she didn't actually necessarily have the leadership skills to be a COO. To be a COO requires massive amounts of leadership skills. Part of it was I didn't even know what leadership skills were. So it was like, oh, if you can organize a spreadsheet, well, then you could be a COO. That is not true. Um, <clears throat> there's more to it. There's a lot more to it. It's actually being able, leadership, from what I've discovered, is actually being able to meet people in their emotional challenges and helping them to move through those emotional challenges so that they expand into the highest capacity of themselves. I did not know that. I did not know how to do that. And so <clears throat> I would, you know, bring in this right-hand woman. We're going to do this together. I would even say, you're my partner. We're partners in this. But there was this inherent underlying lie there because the fact is that she wasn't my partner. She wasn't the COO, even though I was saying those things. And I was saying those things from a good place, a good intention. Like I wanted that, but it wasn't what was real. So the most recent time that that happened is it happened a few times before I got the lesson. And oftentimes we do have to revisit things again and again before we get the full lesson. So the most recent time that that happened, um, I was making the transition from just this gal and I running the company together with a bunch of independent contractors. I would call that a business. I had a business into a company. And the difference I see there, by the way, is that a business is like you as the leader or you and one other person as the leader and many independent contractors versus a company. I was starting to invite in actually a leadership team where each person on the leadership team would have full 100% responsibility for their part of the company. And, and that would be based on specific outcomes that they were responsible for. So really giving each lead, team lead, full responsibility, allowing them to make all the mistakes, allowing them to learn from those mistakes. And so as I was bringing this leadership team in, and it was becoming clear that the woman that I had said, you're the COO, was not 
actually the COO because, and the way that I saw that is that as I was bringing in the leadership team, she was compromising their ability to do their jobs because she was a lot like me before. And um, she was a perfectionist, which is so great for getting stuff done. And, 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 but, but from that perfectionism, she kept shutting down their ability to make mistakes, something that I've done a lot in the past. And so I actually needed her to not be the COO, but to be part of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And so this was going to be a demotion, basically, taking away her title, saying, okay, you're no longer the boss. You're on a team with the whole leadership team and with me. Like, I'm part of the leadership team, too. I'm, I'm not the boss, although there, there are some ways that I needed to step into ownership of being the boss. And that's a, a bigger conversation. But, well, I guess it comes out in this, in this story. So we're all in this leadership team meeting, a three-day in-person retreat in Boulder with my whole team. And I have to let her know, you're not the COO. Mm-hmm. You're on the team, and I want you to stay. Now, in the past, the way that would have gone is there's no way she would have stayed. She would have felt shut down. She would have felt demoted. She would have felt hurt. She would have left the company. And that would have been very harmful for the company. It would have been harmful for her. It would have been harmful for me. And as we were in this big, really crucible, and she's crying, and it's very, and, and, and it was very emotional, I saw the moment where in the past I would have collapsed and allowed her to collapse. And I saw what started to happen as she started getting um, hurt. And from that place of hurt, she was saying things like, I can't trust you. You made these promises to me. And I could see, oh, no, we're going down a negative spiral and we're heading down. What can I do in this moment to shift this that I've never done before? And a clear message came in, and it said, invite her up. Let her know that you see her. Let her know what you actually see. Inspire her to be who she really is. And I'd never known how to do that before. And so I said to her, I see you. I know your power here, and I know you can leave right now. And if you left the company right now, there would be a break in relationship. There might be a break in your own self-confidence, your own belief in yourself. I see a future for you in which you can become the COO of a company if that's what you want. And I see your leadership skills and I see what needs to be developed. Mm. And I, you have this moment right now to choose to step fully into your power and become that woman right now by acknowledging the truth of where you are yeah. right now, which is sometimes really hard to do. So hard, but so beautiful. So, and, and she did it. And she fully did it. She stayed. And that's, by the way, a huge thing that's required in order to be in community and something that I don't know that we have a lot of practice with. Commitment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Staying. Right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And... It can be challenging when all we want to do is run because we're so triggered. Yeah, so uncomfortable. And it's just like, no, I don't want this right now or this lesson. But then again, they always come when we don't want them. And then it's about staying. And when we stay and we we receive the lesson and we digest it and then we transmute and alchemize it, that's when we become the people that we really are. Yeah. All of ourselves. So there's something really curious that I heard you say just, just there now. 
in my own words, what I've this story that you just shared with us, it's like the COO position is the the idea of making a round person fit into a square hole. Yeah. Right? It's like this is what I need to create. Yeah. It needs to fit in. Yeah. But through this process and this leadership container that, that you both went through and then the honesty, yeah. the relatability and the commitment, something else was able to emerge. Yes. And Ali, I want to ask you, how does your stillness practice, because you talked about stillness earlier, how does your, your yoga or mindfulness or whatever your actual practice is, mm. how has that helped you facilitate that space within mm -hmm. so that you can actually tap into it mm -hmm. when you're with people? Mm -hmm. I'm not actually sure it's a stillness practice. I don't, I don't have a formal stillness practice, although I do often do what I'll call a one-minute meditation where uh, when I get overwhelmed with anything, whether it's parenting or business, I can take literally one minute and center myself and breathe come back to the present moment, expand my capacity to hold more. And I used to think that I had to be doing 15 minutes of meditation every day, 20 minutes of meditation every day. And that wasn't it. I, I did not require that. And for a long time, I judged myself for not requiring that. And what I found is that the more that I can be with all of what I'm feeling, which I guess is a stillness practice, but in the moment and not actually have to remove myself, but be with myself through whatever is happening, staying present, feeling my all of my feelings, but not getting taken over by them so that I get taken out. So that's what used to happen in the past. In the past, I would get taken out by my feelings. I would feel the rise of energy in my body. I would feel my heart beating faster. I would feel the part of me that wanted to explode yeah. with rage or frustration or run away. And I would react. Hmm. It's been a long time since I've reacted. Now what happens is when I feel something like that happen, I can welcome it. I can breathe through it. I can expand into it and not have it overwhelm me such that I'm acting from that place. And I'll be honest, I mean, it's just, it's come from years of practice yeah. and, and knowing that I wanted something different than to be reacting. I wanted to be able to respond. Mm. Super powerful. I like the subtle difference there, react and respond. I mean, it's subtle in words, but the actual difference is huge. Yeah, because reaction is, is when we're overtaken. Something comes through us, we can't stop it, and we're just yeah. going to explode from it. And response is, I can feel all of that. I'm not shutting any of it down. I'm actually letting myself feel all of it. And my intellect is still online. My logic is still online. And if I can't have my intellect and logic still online, while I'm feeling all of that, I need to take a step away. Yeah. Put myself in timeout. Yeah. Beautiful. I love all these different places we already mentioned in, in just like a, a, a short 20, 25 minutes here. Okay. I have one more question for you. Okay. And it goes back to the beginning of this conversation when you shared about your ayahuasca ceremony. Mm -hmm. So I host a podcast called Green Planet, Blue Planet, and I'm on this quest since... 
two years and longer about Earth vision. What does it take to create a, Earth, a planet Earth that's worth living on for every human being, that works for every human being, just like Bachmann Fuller was already hinting and philosophizing 50, 60 years ago. Can you describe a little bit from your own place of feeling, your place of heart, your place of receiving vision, what, what might it look like, yeah. a planet that's worth living on for 8 billion people? Mm -hmm. A planet worth living on for 8 billion people is one in which every single person has what they need mm -hmm. and is able to access that without any of the survival strategies that we have all inherited from prior generations. And those survival strategies, whether it's power over or sneaking, stealing, thieving, lying, cheating, those survival strategies got us here. They were required for us to get here right now, to be born, our ancestors needed to survive. Mm -hmm. And so they used these win-lose dynamic survival strategies that is critical for each one of us to discover what is the inheritance that we received from our past generations individually through us because those survival strategies are still operating in us, oftentimes so deeply ingrained that we can't see them. We don't even know when we're using them. So those survival strategies will not create the world that works for everyone. The more beautiful the more beautiful hearts that's right. know is possible. Right. So, so in order to, so, so that more beautiful world is a world where we have recognized the survival strategies. We see that we no longer need to use them because we are now in a place where we are abundant. We have time, energy, attention, and money. So we no longer need to use power over dynamics, win-lose dynamics, stealing, thieving, cheating. We don't need to use those things anymore. And in fact, we can share what we have, give from the overflow, so that we all actually do have what we need. So that requires us to know what is it that we need mm -hmm have just that, give back the excess. I'll be speaking about that actually on stage today about a concept called money dysmorphia that is one of the most hidden, shadowy survival strategies that many of us are using. And so in this more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible is a world where every single person does have what they need and they no longer need to use those survival strategies to get it, but instead are collaborating, cooperating. Of course, we are raising each other's children. We are growing our food. We are in local communities, sharing, giving, caring for our elders, caring for the planet. Beautiful. Freedom. Yeah. So before we close this off, where can people find out about you? And I... I think you've put out a course on money dysmorphia I or have. are putting on one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, where can they find that if they're more interested in learning? Yeah. So one of the best places to find me is at the URL moneymap.tv. What you're going to find when you go there is a seven-minute meditation, a beautifully visually produced meditation 
that will help to take you, and I recommend you make it a daily practice of watching this meditation. It actually deeply shifted me. So it's a seven-minute meditation that will take you into a world that works for everyone and seeing yourself in that world. And if that is something that you deeply resonate with and want to create in your own life, knowing that you have all the time, energy, attention, and money that you need in order to do that, then you'll be invited from that page into a Facebook group called Eyes Wide Open Tribe. And, of course, you can get on the email list there as well. I'm also at eyeswideopenlife.com. And if it happens to be that there's any lawyers that are listening today, I don't know that there are, but if there are, and you want to use your law degree in a way that is helping families and helping business owners to live and create in this more beautiful world, then you can go to newlawbusinessmodel.com. Love it. Thanks for sharing and for your time. Thank you. Thank you both. It's so great to be here doing a podcast in the jungle. Podcast in the jungle. Yeah.